Hello and welcome to another edition of the Be Bullish podcast. I'm Alex Ely, a CIO of the U.S. Growth Equity Group here at Macquarie Asset Management. Thank you for listening in. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, today we've got a special uh, guest, uh, Daniela Madarovic. She is our co-head of U.S. Multi-Sector Fixed Income. Um, so yes, I'm bringing someone over from the fixed income side um, because bonds often tell us a lot about uh, where equities are, are headed or where the economy is going. So you can take cues from the bond markets. Any good at equity investors should be paying attention to what's happening to bonds. Um, so I, I'm very happy to uh, have Daniela come onto the show. Uh, thanks for coming on, Daniela. Thanks for having me, uh, Alex. You and I always have fun conversations, so I look forward to this. Yes, yes. It's been, we've done quite a few of these over the years, for sure. So why don't you tell everyone what it is exactly that you do so we, we can you know, get, get the ball rolling? So in my role, I have the, the fun and privilege of investing a variety of traditional uh, multi-sector assets, meaning core, core plus fixed income, short-term fixed income, the kind of things that most folks have in their portfolios, including our flagship diversified income fund. But what's so special about it is that in my role, I get to... Uh, collect the best ideas across the entire fixed income platform of 130 individuals across four different hubs, three different continents, securitized specialists, credit specialists, uh, leverage finance, EM, and it gives this sort of very, very complex view of what's really happening out there. So you're really into just all kinds of different uh, fixed income instruments, it sounds like. Ah, indeed. We, we look across the board and pick the ones that, that uh, we think bring most value to our investors. Sure. So, well, what do you think about um, fixed income today? How, how are the bond markets looking to you after what we've gone through this year? I got to tell you, Alex, as much as for many investors looking at their uh, balances at the end of uh, or at the end of the first and second quarter looked awfully tough from a return perspective. From a forward-looking perspective, this might be as good a time for fixed income or to invest in fixed income um, as I remember in my career, in that when you reflect on yields, and we had lived in, in a, a period of very, very low interest rates and you know, sending people searching through you know, private debt and private equity and investing in God knows what because they couldn't get any kind of yield and fixed income. And for a change now in diversified portfolios of assets, nowadays you can get four, five, six, seven percent fixed income yields. So and we haven't seen that exciting in, in quite some time for sure. You got so are, it. You pu- are, you pushing, are you pushing duration and risk out further in this market? As a matter of fact, we are. We've, we've had quite a few conversations so far this year, and the trade of the year that worked very well for a lot of folks had been to allocate to places like uh, TIPS, to allocate to places like floating rate securities and so on. And that has been a good place to perhaps not quite hide, but have something that that at least wasn't wasn't performing as poorly for the last 12 months, right, in right. an era of 9% inflation. But we really do think that, that going forward, the things that worked so far will no longer work. So being longer duration will start to pay off, uh, taking advantage of the sell-off that we've had in places like high yield and emerging markets and securitized bonds will start to pay off. Uh, if you have a little bit of intestinal fortitude, which, you know, it's part right. of investing. Well, we have plenty of that over in U.S. growth equity, that's for sure. <laughs> 
There's lots of intestinal fortitude. Um, could you, um, just for our listeners, uh, tell them what tips are so they understand? Oh, that's a good one. So it's Treasury Inflation Protected Securities. And uh, what they do is they are still Treasury bonds, and they actually have a lot of duration, which many folks don't, don't know. And their coupon floats or will, will move higher or lower with inflation. So in the last 12 months or so, it had been a, a security that offered a little bit of respite from inflation. However, what we want to remind to everybody, and I know a lot of folks thought, oh my God, isn't that a great place to be? It was in the past. It no longer is right. uh, because tips are an awfully liquid sector. And as sort of you're, you're getting into full-on quantitative tightening era when the Fed is reducing balance sheets, as you see more volatility, um, that's, that's not a particularly wise place to be. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, now that, you know, we've gone through all this, and as you mentioned, we're at 9% inflation figures that haven't been seen in 40 years, so certainly a, a different market. How long are, are, is your group thinking the high levels of inflation will last? So we do think that inflation has likely peaked, actually. The scary, scary uh, over 9% number we saw here in the US, um, the 8.5% in Europe and all over the place, gosh, even our very friendly Canadians have inflation above uh, 8%. So we do believe that the peak inflation has either happened last month or, or we're experiencing right now. And the reason is that some of the sort of additional impetus that we've had uh, recently has come from places like China needing to be uh, sort of uh, committed to, to zero COVID policy. We've had some easing uh, there. We've also started to see a little bit of a, of a consumer spending sort of uh, uh, walk back or more conservative behavior. So all of those factors should start to reflect in easing off of inflation. Yeah, let's let's hope so. I mean, certainly for for equities and for bonds as well, when you get inflation numbers like this, um, that creates uh, concern because um, people don't know what to expect. And when you have massive macro changes like this, it, it can be bad for all assets, as we've seen so far this year. But um, we're certainly hopeful that um, we're getting to more solid footing where the inflation that's out there is more understood and what the Fed is going to do is more understood. And that hopefully will make it a more investable environment than the first half. That's for sure. You um, got you it. And if, Alex, if, if you don't mind, I, I would like to add a bit of evidence sure. to that, if you will. Um, so we, we look at CPI as sort of the, the scary indicator, and it is legitimately scary. There's nothing different to say about it. But what the Fed also monitors is inflation expectations. And there are, there are a couple of things in particular that the Fed pays attention to. Um, one is the inflation expectations embedded in treasury inflation protected securities, those animals I mentioned earlier. And the 10-year inflation expectation had spiked to over 3% yep. uh, at some time in April. Believe it or not, that number has declined now to about 2.3%. Right. And by way of context, that's actually erasing all of this year's Russia invasion sort of pressure and most of 2021 pressure. And the Fed will basically take that as a signal that the market's saying, hey, Fed, you're getting this right. Thank you. Um, and then the second indicator that's worth kind of keeping an eye on is University of Michigan's 
um, long-term inflation expectations. That number has finally ticked down for the first time from over 3% to 2.8% uh, in yep. the most recent reading. And that's something the Fed has specifically noted at, in, in, um, in the last uh, conference uh, that, that they had post-meeting. So some, some okay signs out there. So do you think the Fed will be done raising rates by the end of the year, or do you think it'll go on longer? Uh, you know, that's a tough one. Uh, from our perspective, we think that we should think more in terms of how high, how fast. Um, the Fed has, you know, Powell, there's something about him that's very pragmatic that can be refreshing at times. And he said, stop asking me about models and projecting. I, there's no way we can reasonably know what's going to happen in six months, given how much uncertainty we have. We're going to read the data. We're going to take action. We're going to look at the data again and take action again. And so from our perspective, would you think that the, the peak as we see it now uh, in this cycle should be about three and a quarter uh, sorry, three, three and a half to four percent. We think that's plausible and reasonable. Um, it is also very likely that the Fed might front load it. So go another 75, not 100, because that was in the books for a minute and maybe slow down a bit, pause a bit and then sort of as needed readjust. Um, the important thing is to say that it doesn't look as if the Fed needs to move significantly higher than there, th that, because the fear earlier this year was, does the Fed need to go to five, six, seven, eight right, percent? Right. And that, that appears to be off the table. Okay. Well, do you think we'll be able to avoid a recession in that scenario? No, I, you know, economists do this, this God awful thing where they give you, we expect about a 40% recession. So, you know, even if you're wrong, you're right. If you're right, you're right. The, the, the reality of the matter is that when the Fed tightens, and especially in environments of uncertainty, and they, they know as much about this as we do, it's very, very difficult to land this, this massive jumbo jet, especially at a time when every single central bank in the world, with the exception of BOJ, because the Japanese are different, are tightening. Right. Even the good old ECB just hiked rates. 50 yes, they did points. just this morning. Just this morning. So in that environment, uh, Alex, it's hard to avoid a recession. The real question is, if it's a recession, what flavor of recession it is? And that that's where we think the distinction lies. Yeah. Well, that gets to the next point. I mean, how are consumers and banks positioned going into the slowdown? Because that's going to dictate what kind of slowdown that we that we have. You got it. So when we think about recessions generally, it really matters whether or not there's an added financial crisis to an economic slowdown, because it really makes the conditions for asset markets very different, right? And the GFC taught us very, very clearly that a financial crisis can make things much, much worse. And generally speaking, for a financial crisis to happen, you need a couple of ingredients, and they usually are some very distinct bubbles. Um, basically over allocation of credit and for, for a prolonged period of time in certain areas of the market. And the second ingredient tends to be the financial system getting over its skis. And while does, the, there doesn't appear to be a lot of silver linings out there sort of at face value, one is very significant and that is the banking system. So by way of reference uh, and sort of for people that don't watch this every single day, charge-offs for the banks. So the basically how many losses banks are experiencing for their, from their consumer and commercial right. loans for 
all the banks across the board, and there's no exception, are running at about 20 basis points. So to translate this in people speak, that's 0.2 of a percent. This is the lowest you can get, more or less. And Huntington Bank just this morning released earnings, and they said there's this three basis points. So again, in people speak, this is 0.3%. It does not get any lower than that. Right. By another reference point, during the great uh, financial crisis and the Great Depression, charge-offs were running into two, two to three percent, yeah. right? And the normal cycle is about half a percent. So we're still running very, very low. Consumers are very healthy. And right. then the second component to your point about banks in particular, when you think about what the banks did wrong or why, why the, the banks were part of the problem during the GFC, banks will be part of the solution this time around. Um, recently, they went through a stress test about the, and, and it was determined that banks are carrying about one third of the risk that they carried going into the GFC and right. capital ratios are near all time highs, three to 4% higher than pre-GFC right. as the good news. Well, I mean, as you know, the, the uh, uh, title of this podcast is Be Bullish, and, and we always take a, a pretty optimistic tack because we see just some really interesting things happening in the economy over, over the next 10 years or so. Um, but, you know, for us, while we look at recession, you know, whether it's a recession or how deep it is, I just look when you have a healthy consumer and a healthy banking system, how bad is it going to be? I mean, it's, it's not, you know, at a certain point, People will feel better about things when the Fed isn't raising rates as quickly or um, when the economy keeps going, even though, you know, everyone calls for for things to be awful. So we'll see. I'm not I'm not sure how it'll end up or how, how bad it will be, but it certainly doesn't feel like an 0809 situation that we're going through. No, not at all 0809. We'll have a slowdown. I think we, we want to make sure we're clear about that. Banks are pointing to the fact when you have inflation, the people who are squeezed, it's the folks that need to spend more on gas and on food. And that's yeah, sort of a brutal reality of inflation. Yeah. And that's why the Fed wants to get in front of it. And, you know, we're seeing that there's more credit card spending by those types of consumers. We're seeing a yeah. spend down in savings. But again, as our um, head of credit will point out, you know, deposits are running two to three times before pre-pandemic. So meaning these, even these consumers have a little cushion, even though they're really definitely feeling the bite of inflation. Right. I, it kills me that the lower class always ends up with the, the worst, whether it's in the good times when, when uh, stocks and, and real estate go up or in the bad times when they're getting hit by higher costs, um, it just doesn't work out well. So that's, it's, it's very difficult. Um, well, I mean, just leaving it on a, on a positive note, you know, let's, I, I guess let's hope for that, that you're right, that inflation comes in um, and that, you know, we, we ha- and that uh, inflation expectations will continue to be tempered throughout the year. Hopefully, um, you know, in the next few months, the Fed will be done or, or near done. Uh, and, and if all those things come about, you know, hopefully we'll be in a, in a much better market uh, for equities, but certainly for um, bonds that take risk and so forth, there'll be a lot. I mean, if if you, we get to a more stable outlook in 2023, sometimes or sometime, I'm sure that bonds yielding five, six, seven percent will be uh, trading a lot higher than they are today. So that's that's pretty exciting stuff. Agreed. Great. Well, thank you very much for being on the on the podcast, Danielle. Um, have a great day, and thank you everyone for listening in. 
This recording is intended for financial professionals and institutional investors only. This is not intended for use with the general public. The views expressed in this podcast represent those of the speaker and are subject to change. Nothing presented should be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security or follow any investment technique or strategy and does not constitute advice, an advertisement, an invitation, a confirmation, an offer or a solicitation to engage in any investment activity or an offer of any banking or financial service. Throughout this presentation, various securities and companies are referenced. Examples given are for illustrative purposes only and were not chosen based on performance. This is not a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal. All examples herein are for illustrative purposes only and there can be no assurance that any particular investment objectives will be realized or any investment strategy seeking to achieve such objective will be successful. Past performance is not a reliable indication of future performance. Before acting on any information, you should consider the appropriateness of it with regard to your particular objectives, financial situation and needs, and seek advice. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made as to the accuracy or completeness of the information, opinions, and conclusions presented. In preparing this recording, reliance has been placed without independent verification on the accuracy and the completeness of all information available from external sources. Macquarie Asset Management is the marketing name for the Asset Management Division of Macquarie Group. Investment products and advisory services are distributed and offered by and referred through affiliates, which include Delaware Distributors LP, a registered broker-dealer and member of the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and Macquarie Investment Management Business Trust, a Securities and Exchange Commission registered investment advisor. Investment advisory services are provided by a series of Macquarie Investment Management Business Trusts, Other than Macquarie Bank Limited, none of the entities noted in this podcast are authorized deposit-taking institutions for the purposes of the Banking Act of 1959 from the Commonwealth of Australia. The obligations of these entities do not represent deposits or other liabilities of Macquarie Bank Limited. Macquarie Bank Limited does not guarantee or otherwise provide assurance in respect of the obligations of these entities unless noted otherwise.